Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. Uh, We're going to start with scripture reading this morning. We're going to be in Matthew 28. If you want to uh, read along with me, I'm going to be in verses 1 through 10. If you have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn there. We also have it on the screens for you as well this morning. Matthew 28, verse 1 says, After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. There was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothing was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. The angel told the women, don't be afraid because I know you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here for he is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he's risen from the dead, and indeed he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. Just then Jesus met them and said, greetings, They came up, took hold of his feet, and worshiped him. And then Jesus told them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. This is the word of the Lord. In 1909, more than 60 years before the very first cell phone was ever uh, invented, 90 years before the introduction of Wi-Fi, a man by the name of Nikola Tesla told the New York Times it will soon be possible to transmit wireless messages all over the world so simply that any individual can carry and operate his own apparatus. 1909. Also in 1909, Mark Twain said, I came in with Halley's Comet in 1835. It is coming again next year, and I expect to go out with it. It will be the greatest disappointment of my life if I don't. The Almighty said, no doubt, now here are these two unaccountable freaks. They came in together, they must go out together. Strangely enough, he died on April 21st, 1910, the day after the comet returned. In 1968, Arthur C. Clarke imagined the iPad. He wrote the futuristic novel 2001, A Space Odyssey. And in it, he wrote Floyd would plug his fool's cap sized news pad, which would be like the size of a piece of paper, into the ship's information circuit and, and scan the latest reports from Earth. The postage stamp size rectangle would expand. Now picture an app, like the app tile, would expand and fill the screen. 
When, it, when he had finished, he would flash back to the complete page and select a new subject for detailed examination. He's describing almost perfectly the iPad way back in 1968. Also in 1968, John Brunner predicted the 2010 American president. In his novel, Stand on Zanzibar, he said, America in 2010 is run by a President Obami. Strange, 1968. In 1987, Roger Ebert said in an interview with Omni Magazine, we will have high definition, widescreen television sets and push button dialing system to order the movie you want at the time you want it. Hello, Netflix. In all of our houses, we probably have the devices that he was predicting way back in 1987. Now, these are amazing predictions, right? These, these were men who had foresight. They, they saw the trajectory of technology. These were almost prophetic predictions that these guys made, but none of them had the power to fulfill the prediction that they made. For three years before Jesus' death and crucifixion, this exchange took place between Jesus and the Jewish leaders. The Jews replied to him, what sign will you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered, destroy this temple and I will raise it in three days. <laughs> wow, therefore the, the Jews said, this temple took 46 years to build and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. And so when he raised him from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the statement Jesus had made three years before his death and his resurrection. He's telling them this will happen. When asked for a specific sign from the, the Jewish leaders, Jesus said, an evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Y'all know the story of Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of a huge fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Another amazing prediction. During the last six months of his life, we find in Matthew 16, 21, that from then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples. He said to them, it is necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and be raised on the third day. He was telling them over and over again, this is going to happen. And then we see that he had the power to fulfill his prediction. In John 10, 17, he said, this is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. In fact, the news of his predictions about his death and his resurrection were so common knowledge that the Jews, the, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they gathered before Pilate the, the day after he was crucified. And they said, sir, we remember that while this deceiver was still alive, he said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the orders that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come, steal him, and tell the people he has been raised from the dead. And the last deception will be worse 
than the first. They knew, even his enemies, his opponents, the ones that got him crucified knew, this man told us he will raise from the dead. Yet what has always astounded me about the the telling of the resurrection in all the gospels is that Jesus's closest disciples didn't see it coming. None of them saw it coming. (laughs) It's, It's amazing to me. He said it so many times that those around him were saying, look, 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 he said it would happen. And yet his disciples, where were they? He had 11 disciples at this point. You remember Judas had betrayed him, so he's down to 11. And then he's got another 72 that he had sent out earlier. And then we know if we fast forward to Acts, there were 120 gathered in an upper room. So there were lots of followers of Jesus. And yet, how many of them were waiting outside the tomb on Sunday? How many were like, this is the day, this is the third day, he's coming back. I just know it's everyone, like, be calm, just stay right here. We're going to see this thing happen. How many were there? Zero. Nobody was there. And then we see this story of Mary and Martha. They're on their way back to the tomb. You know why they're on their way back to the tomb. You see, they had been preparing his body. After his crucifixion, they would go through a process of preparing the body. They would wrap it in the linen strips. They would anoint it with spices and different things because of the odor, right? This was the burial practice. But the Sabbath day, which at that, in that day and age was Saturday, the Sabbath had interrupted the burial preparation of Jesus' body, And so they have to do what all good Jewish people do. They would observe the Sabbath and they would go the next day and finish preparing his body. They weren't going expecting a resurrected Jesus. They're going expecting a dead Jesus in a tomb, probably starting to stink a little, and they're gonna go and anoint his body. Imagine their surprise. You know, the the scripture said that there was a violent earthquake. There was a shaking, right? This angel comes down, and I just picture the soldiers like bowling pins. If you've ever been bowling, right, and you see those things just fall over. It's like the sight of this fierce angel is so overwhelming that they like fall over. Like they're as if they are dead, and they walk up on the scene. They see this angel sitting on that stone that had been rolled away from the tomb. And imagine their surprise. Imagine the the trembling, the fear that they felt. In verses 5 and 7, it says, The angel told the women, Don't be afraid, because I know you're looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he's risen from the dead and indeed he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. Now this is so important for us to understand. The resurrection is a fact. It happened. Think about it. Why would the disciples begin to proclaim in Jerusalem that Jesus had risen from the dead if it didn't really happen. If you're gonna spin a web of deception and tell everyone like, hey, uh, you know, he's alive again, and they're like, no, the tomb's just over there. We've all seen the tomb. He's still in there, the tomb's there, and no, no, this, this 
tale of a false resurrection wouldn't have made it two weeks. And none of us would be here in this room today. We wouldn't celebrate Easter. We wouldn't celebrate Good Friday. We wouldn't celebrate Christmas because we wouldn't care about the birth of Jesus without the resurrection of Jesus. Time itself is marked by him. We live in 2019, which is 2019 years from the birth of Jesus. It has absolutely changed the world. It is a fact that he has risen from the dead. He would, had he not risen from the dead, he would just be like another leader, another spiritual leader from the past, somebody that we might quote. We might still have some quotes on our wall. You might have a crocheted thing on your hanging there in your house with some words of Jesus, but you wouldn't worship him. He's just another guy, another guy who died. But the fact is he did raise, as the angel said, he has risen But the words that grabbed me this week as I was preparing were these words, just as he said. (laughs) just, it baffles me that they missed it. The disciples kept missing. He had said it over and over again. And the the angels drawing their memories back to those, those moments that I just referenced at the beginning of where he said, I will rise again, I will rise again. And the angel is drawing those memories back. Don't you remember what he said? He would rise again. Now, it is, it's, it's probable that many Jews would have thought that the resurrection would happen at the end of days, at the end of the world, right? There would be this, this Messiah that comes and, and, and God would raise all the true believers from the dead at the end of time. And so maybe they're thinking, well, he's going to rise, but not anytime soon, right? It's going to be at the end of days. Maybe they thought three days was like, it's figurative. Like three means a, a completeness, at the completeness of time, then he will come back. Three days is just like figurative. But none of them really thought it was literal. Three days. Parents, if you, uh, if you have little ones or you remember this stage when your little ones were there, do you remember whenever you'd be outside somewhere and there would be like a ledge? My, I have three boys. My boys love ledges because they love to climb and they love to kind of dare and they love to try things out. And, and those, my boys will climb up on a ledge and some of those ledges kind of get steeper and steeper and taller and taller and they'll, they'll kind of balance on the ledge, right? And you tell them, like you see, you see where this is going, right? You need to get down from there or you're gonna get hurt. And of course, it's like in one ear, out the other. They're like, I'm like so cool balancing on this ledge. Like my dad does not know what he's talking about. I'm gonna show my dad how awesome I am. I'm gonna balance all the way to the end. Parents, you know what I'm talking about, right? You warn your kids about so many things and yet they're like, eh, you don't know what you're talking about. That's kind of, I think, what had happened with these disciples. He keeps telling them, just as he said, I'm going to rise. I'm going to rise. And they're like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe at the end of time, he doesn't know what he's talking about, right? It's kind of like that. They heard you, but they didn't believe you. And aren't we just like them? Let's be honest. We're just like that. Aren't we? 
God says, hey, don't do that. It's, it's going to be harmful for your life. You're like, you don't know what you're talking about. Hey, don't, don't go down that course with your life. Don't, don't get yourself entangled in that stuff. And you're like, I can handle it. Other people probably not, but I can do it, right? I, I can do it. I can handle it, God. I know better. You hear him, but you don't believe him. Just as he said, these things of God that we've heard, maybe you've grown up in the church, maybe you've been around the church and you've listened to lots of sermons, maybe you've been in Bible studies, or maybe you're just brand new to this thing, but you still know some things. You've heard some things about God. You know, hey, he, he's telling me not to live this way or to do that thing. And you thought, I know better than that. I know better. And then we see in verse 8 through 10, and this I think is the, ah, the, the most beautiful portion of this passage. It says, so departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. I mean, just imagine the feelings they're having as they see this angel and they hear, look, he's risen. They, they look inside the tomb. There's no body there. Fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. In verse 9, just then Jesus met them and said greetings. They came up, took hold of his feet, and worshiped him. By the way, if he had just risen as like a, a spirit and not a body, there would be no feet to grab onto, right? They would have, would have been like the movies where the ghost and you're like, your, your hand keeps going through them, right? There would have been no feet to grab onto. This was a bodily resurrection of Jesus. And it says, then Jesus told them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. These three words, Jesus met them. When I read this story this week, that, those three words just kind of grabbed my heart. Jesus met them. Don't miss that. There, there's a whole world of spiritual wonder and joy wrapped up in those three words. At the heart of Christianity is a personal experience of Jesus. In fact, every one of you who says, yes, I, I believe in Jesus, can look back at some point in your life and say, look, I was really bad. Things were going terrible. In the midst of my brokenness, Jesus met me. The heart the, the beating heart of our faith is not doctrine or theology or all those things. All those are great and those help us and, and we learn from these and it, and it helps us understand God rightly. But at the very white hot core of our faith is a moment, a personal encounter with Jesus. Think about it. <laughs> A dead Jesus could have never met them. He couldn't have met them. He's still in the grave, but he did. You see, the resurrection means for us that forgiveness has truly been accomplished. Now, if Jesus told us, hey, look, I'm gonna die for your sins, every bad thing you've ever done, every, every wrong thought, every wrong attitude, I'm gonna go to the cross for that, and I'm gonna take it upon myself, and then he just stayed in the grave, we'd be like, 
Did it work? Right? I mean, is it really gone? I don't know. I mean, he said he was going to, but I, we, we would have nothing to go on. The resurrection of Jesus tells us, no, 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 it's truly been accomplished. He has paid for us all. It also means this, that death has been defeated. Like most of us live our whole lives afraid of dying. You say, no, I'm not afraid of dying. I'm afraid of heights. Okay, why are you afraid of heights? Because I might fall and die. Oh, okay, so you're not afraid of dying, but you're afraid of heights. I'm afraid of dogs. Why are you afraid of dogs? They could bite me and kill me. Oh, okay. So we boil down all of our fears, and at the base, the bottom level of all of them is like, I'm afraid to die. Right? This past week, I, I went to a funeral for my, my great uncle, 88 years old, died in his sleep. I mean, what a beautiful way to go. And I was hugging my grandma at the end, and I could just see this concerned look in her face. She's almost 90. And I think there's something in her. She's like, I know I shouldn't be afraid to die, but I'm, I'm afraid to die. See, the resurrection means for you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've got nothing to fear. (laughs) Death has lost its sting. You, whenever that time comes for you, and you have put your faith and your trust in Jesus, you will cross over. It's like your spirit will just leave this little earth shell that you've been walking around in for the last however many years, and you will go and be with your Father, and you will experience the glory and the joy and the love and the peace of God. It will be way better than this down here. You've got nothing to fear. Death has been defeated. He has power over the grave. The resurrection also tells us that sin is powerless. Like sin has lost its Power, the, the things that are like the, we've talked about them before, the things that like are, are chains around us, like the, the, the cords of sin that feel like we're just like, oh, I can't change. I can't be any different. It's like every time I try, I keep falling, and we receive through Christ a power that's different than our own power. It's so much bigger, and it's so much better, and it's so much more sufficient than our own willpower. We receive the same power power that raised Jesus from the dead. We have victory over sin. God is glorious and he's he's the all-powerful one. He's shown us his power in the resurrection, but I think these three words are just so beautiful. All those things are true, theologically true. It's right. It's absolutely true about you. But I think what every heart wants craves, longs for, is for to meet Jesus, to to know him. I found this quote, it's from Philip Yancey. He says, in many respects, I find an unresurrected Jesus easier to accept. Easter makes him dangerous. Because of Easter, I have to listen to his extravagant claims and can no longer pick and choose from his sayings. Moreover, Easter means he must be loose out there somewhere. Jesus is still meeting people today. The resurrected king is still alive, and he's still moving. 
In fact, this morning, we wanted to share a couple stories of people who have experienced the resurrection power of Jesus. We have a video that we're gonna show you guys, and um, I just want you to take a moment and watch these. Hey, my name is Jordan, and this is my resurrection story. So I grew up in the church. I'm a pastor's kid and uh, accepted Christ at a young age. And um, somewhere in elementary school, I, I became uh, like the seeds of lust um, began to enslave me and uh, continued on that path into college where I became like really addicted to pornography. Um, and it wasn't something that I wanted for myself. It was just, I kind of eventually found myself in that place. And uh, the cry of my heart kind of became like, Lord, I don't want to be this way. Uh, I want to hear from you. And I began asking those questions like, how do I hear from God? And uh, I had a job at the time that I was working like grave shift hours and I was in this guard booth at night and I was tempted to, to look at porn again on, on my computer. And uh, I remember this one night I was getting ready to type something in and I heard the voice of someone say, son, you no longer belong to this. And in that moment, I knew that it was Jesus. Um, and all those, all those thoughts that I had in that moment, they just, they just left. And um, and that in that moment, he he like completely set me free from that addiction, from that uh, slave mentality that I had, and put my life on this new uh, path of healing, of restoration. Um, of being able to have control of my thoughts uh, that I didn't think I was going to be able to ever have again. Um, and, and now, looking back from where I am now to, to then, it's, it's a completely different lifestyle that I was in. Uh, and that's, that's my resurrection story. My name is Lauren, and this is my resurrection story. Um, growing up, I grew up in a Christian home, and um, a big part of my life was I felt like performing and being um, the best at what I could be for my parents, for school, and even for the church. And I think it eventually went into um, the way I performed for God too. Um, I wanted to be perfect. And um, I kind of had that mindset as I entered my mid-20s as well. And um, had my first daughter, Eve, um, everything's wonderful. And then I had my second child, Jed. And um, sometime after the birth, um, I think maybe he was about eight months old, um, I began having anxiety um, and panic attacks. And that's where my resurrection story actually began. Um, and I felt a lot of pain. And because of those things, a lot of doubt. Like I couldn't be perfect, I couldn't achieve um, what God wanted me to, and all the stress came um, from me wanting to be perfect in that and not being able to do that. Um, and going down this path of pain and doubt really caused me to question a lot about God and His goodness and His faithfulness. And um, one day um, I just 
knew that that had to shift. Um, I don't, it wasn't like one big moment and I still feel like this story is happening to this day for me where I still have anxiety and I trust um, that the journey that God has me on is better um, than being anxious or trying to be perfect. Um, he is perfect for me and I trust that and I follow Him. And even though the days are hard, it's still hopeful. Um, I enjoy my children, I love my kids, and I do feel like the anxiety um, and the need to be perfect is um, subsiding. That's your resurrection story. Is that what I need to say? And that was my resurrection story. It's awesome. Can we thank them for sharing their stories with us? You see, the resurrected Jesus is still moving. I don't know if you have that story. Jesus met me. I don't know if that sums up a, a moment in your life where you know, I met him. I, I know him. I, I want to give you an opportunity today to know Jesus that way. It really begins with faith. Faith is us putting trust. It, it's uh, us making a, a, de a decision. It's choosing. Like I'm, I'm putting my trust and my faith and my hope in you. It's a, it's a change of heart. It's where we, we, we hear the Lord saying, hey, get off the ledge. You're going to die. And we say, oh, okay, you're right. You're right, it's, it's coming under the lordship of Jesus and saying, you're, you're my master, as we sing earlier, you are my king. I want you to imagine that it's dinner time at your house and you, you get home from the grocery store and you put some plates out on the table and you've got bags full of groceries and the kids and, and everybody's coming to the table and you start throwing down the food straight out of the bag, right? Maybe a raw pork chop down there. Maybe you put some, some, uh, some long grain rice and you hear ting, 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 right? it's pouring out onto the plate, hard as a rock. Maybe a potato, raw potato just thrown on the plate or a raw vegetable. You would never do that, right? I mean, is it technically food? Of course, yeah, it's food, but it's not prepared. You see, the, the work of God, the work of the Spirit in our lives is to take just as he said and turn it into Jesus met me. God wants to take all the stuff that you've heard about him, the stuff you've learned about him, the, the Bible knowledge that's just resided here, and he wants to drive that 18 inches down into the center of your heart. The Spirit wants to take that and make it useful, edible, enjoyable. But that happens when we move from just as he said to Jesus met me. So, this morning, would you bow your heads with me? I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.